0: Marisa wears many hats. Uh, She is one of the most delightful persons to work around that I have ever worked around, and I appreciate her so very much. Continuing on talking about the National Day of Prayer, most of you know that we have what is called Durham Ministers in Prayer. There are about 60 churches, 60 ministers that gather together every uh, Tuesday morning for prayer. Well, uh, one of the things that we are in charge of is the National Day of Prayer for this locale, for Durham, North Carolina. And as Brother Dan has said, we meet, we're going to be meeting Thursday, May the 5th, and we're going to be meeting at 12 o'clock, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. I hope you can spare at least just an hour, uh, if you will. People will gather to pray in small groups in the center of Durham at the Bull located at CCB Plaza. And uh, we hope, as I said, that you will be planning on, tell, tell others about it. In fact, my wife and others have worked hard to make sure we have a brochure. So we want you to have one that will remind you. <clears throat> and by the way, if you cannot be here, then if you will uh, take this with you, put it in your Bible or <clears throat> save it. So it will help you, help you remember that we will be praying Thursday from 12 o'clock. To one o'clock. I believe if there's ever a time that America needs prayer, it's today. Let me say that again. I believe if there's ever been a time that America needs prayer, it's today. So let's join together. It's one thing to to, to pray, uh, maybe in our homes and our secret places. One thing to pray at the church. It's something else when you gather <clears throat> with a host of ministers and ministries. And individuals that's going to be praying, not only that, but they're going to be praying all over the nation at that particular time, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. I heard recently that many preachers are no longer preaching from the Old Testament. But I am delighted to be able not only to read the Old Testament... But to study the Old Testament and glean from this wonderful, wonderful uh, book, all these books in the Old Testament. Someone said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We said that again. The Old Testament, which so many people are reluctant to, to read and even preach from, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed the new testament is the old testament revealed now what we have today if you look at your outline and i hope everyone has an outline dealing with the old carnal nature you need one just raise your hand and make sure you get one dealing with the old carnal nature I believe all of this. I know I do. I know there are times when I struggle with the old nature. Well, if you don't mind, I'm taking from the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus. uh, A few verses, and it's revealing to us how to uh, deal with the old nature And so I hope we learn something from that. If you will, read with me from the 17th chapter of the book of Exodus, beginning with verse 8. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua. Now, notice this story. It's just a great story. This is the Israelites not long after coming out of Egypt. This is the Israelites uh, that have for years and years, many years, hundreds of years, been in captivity, but now they've crossed the Red Sea. God has allowed the sea to destroy uh, Pharaoh and his army. And, And now we come to a different chapter in the nation of Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, let me read it again, Amalek came. And fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy or weary, so that they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Notice, if you will, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will... Utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven or under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name. The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord had sworn, sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Old and the New Testament. Thank you that you'll speak this message to our heart and we pray that as we go through our Christian walk that we will know, learn how to deal with the old nature. That you'll help us near God and having the knowledge and insight to go against sin and the temptations that come our way. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Notice the introduction. Very enlightening. The introduction is very important here. Up to this point, God had fought for Israel. Israel was commanded to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You remember that at the crossing of the Red Sea and when God fought for them and destroyed uh, the enemy's army. God had been fighting for the Lord. But the command now was to go out and fight. Notice what it says. There is an immense difference between justification and sanctification. The Red Sea is a type of coming across and Experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. It's a type, the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea, being victorious there over the enemy is a type of you and I being justified through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. But now we come to another step in our relationship with God, and that, my friend, is sanctification. There is an immense difference between justification and sanctification. The one, notice this sentence is very important, the one is Christ fighting for us, the other, the Holy Spirit fighting in us. And until we learn these principles, we learn how to overcome the enemy. One is God fighting, the Lord fighting for us. The other, sanctification, is the Holy Spirit fighting certainly in us. Amalek pictures the old nature. God did not destroy Amalek. If you take the Old Testament and read chapters after chapters and books after books, king after king, they were constantly fighting with this nomad people. God never set them free from that. They were, You see, you and I, we're saved. We're born again. But the carnality, the flesh, is always there. Amen. It's 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 it's, it's always God right there. God did not destroy Emily, but determined to have war with him from generation. To generation, verse sixteen says, "For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek." What? From generation, certainly, to generation, he was to dwell in the land, but not reign in it. The enemy, the flesh, Satan the enemy, was to dwell in the land, but not rule, and certainly not to reign in the land. Now, to take this over to the New Testament, to take this over to where you and I live today, I love the book of Romans. The book of Romans is one of the greatest books in the entire Bible. And Paul is writing to the believers at Rome and he talks about how the first chapter is an amazing chapter. Speaking of man in his sinful state. And then he goes on to chapter 2 and all the way to chapter 6 and chapter 7. The apostle Paul is writing in there about the struggles that the believer will have. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. Likewise, you also, Paul said, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're dead to sin doesn't mean sin is dead, doesn't mean it's not active in the world, but it doesn't reign in our lives. Sin is not to control the believers. Amalek was supposed to be in the land of promise, but not reigning certainly in the land of promise. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin, what? Say it with me. Therefore do not let what sin? Reign. In your mortal body. And that's where we're tempted at. In this body. This body with its passions. Its drives. And we battle it. We go through with it. But he says do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should do what? Obey it in its lust. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. God doesn't tease us with his word. God does not mock us with his word. If he is challenging you and I to take responsibility on our shoulders And certainly not to give in to evil, not to give in to the flesh, not to give in to carnality. We're able not to do that. He would not say that if it was not possible. Present your bodies to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, he said, Don't do this, but do this. Now, I'm, I'm just believing God today because I know that all of us, most of us, if not all of us here, are believers. But yet, in our struggle, yet we live in a world where there is Satan, where there is sin, where there is temptation. And yet God is telling us today, present our members as instruments of righteousness to God. And the last verse, for sin shall not, what? Have dominion over you. So if you're struggling, and we all struggle, I struggle with years, with anger, It is an awful, awful bondage. So he's saying today, if we struggle, that struggle, that sin, whether it's anger, whether it's pride, whether it's an addiction, he is saying to us today, those things should not have dominion over us. Amen. And he goes on to say here, for you are not under the law, but under what? Say it. Grace. We're under grace. And we know it's the grace of God. Now, one of the things that we must learn is that in ourselves, let me me get to the the sermon because it it brings out a, a, a lot of this. Now, If the Israelites thought that once they had come out of bondage, crossed the Red Sea, got rid of Pharaoh, if they thought their battle was over, they were certainly misled and did not know the truth. And when we come to Jesus Christ, isn't it a delightful thing to be saved? I don't know if you remember when you got saved or not, but I got saved at nine years. old, and the joy... One gentleman down in the church in Sampson County, he used to say, it's like a tub of honey turned over in my soul, and I can't help but rejoice this morning. It's wonderful. But if you think once we come to Jesus Christ, have that great joy and that honeymoon for a while, if we think we're not going to battle it, we are very misled. Because we will. We're not to fear. We're not to doubt. We're simply to trust God Almighty. Notice Roman numeral number one on your outline. Functioning by our own strength. Moses said to Joshua, you go gather some men. And I want you to go out and fight the Amalekites. He said, I'm going up on the hill. I'm going to take the rod of God in my hand and I'm going to be there. And the Bible says that when Moses was on top, he lifted up his hands and the Amalekites were being defeated. I mean, Joshua and the men of Israel was driving back the enemy. But after a while, Moses got tired you see that illustrated and demonstrated it says to me that's the flesh and the reason that I could not overcome this anger in my life is because I tried to do it in the flesh if you have an addiction you'll get up one morning you say I'll never go back to it again but if you do it in the flesh or try in the flesh you will go back to it If you're dealing with a spirit of jealousy, if you have a spirit of unforgiveness, whatever you're doing, if you try to do it in the flesh, you will not succeed. Amen? And that's the hard part, especially for new converts to understand. I'm trying, I'm trying. And I tried. I'd get so angry. I was raised in a home where there was anger. And I don't have time to go through all the things that we face, but it was awful. And that thing was burnt in me. It was part of the woof and warp of my life. And I would get angry. It controlled my life. I'd say, I'm not going to get angry today. And just as sure as I said, I'm not going to get angry, I got angry. What I'm saying, as long as Moses tried in his own strength, he failed. His hands came down. You fight the enemy, you fight the devil, you fight temptation, and you become weary and you drop your guard and all of a sudden the enemy is winning. Been there? Sure. Been there. Moses' hands came down. When you're fighting against the devil, weirdness comes quickly. You get tired. You just don't want to fight anymore. Sometimes you feel like giving up. I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal. I'm tired of dealing with it. And every day of your life, but let me tell you something this morning, you don't have to do it in the natural. You don't have to do it in the flesh. You don't have to function in your own strength. I learned that. It revolutionized my life. You can do that. You can learn that. So what happened? There was this these two that uh, Aaron and her found a stone. They didn't take Moses to the stone. They took the stone where Moses was, and they set him on that stone. Notice, if you will. We find in Roman numeral number one that man has his limits. And you'll find out trying to do it in yourself. They took a stone. The stone is a type of Christ. In him we rest. Amen. Resting in the midst of the battle. I love that. Doesn't matter the, matter the battle. Doesn't matter what you're faced. With doesn't matter the temptation, God gives you strength and gives you rest in the midst of the battle. The Lord's battles are fought with faith and certainly not with the flesh. They took a stone, sat Moses on that stone, it on one side. Aaron got on the other side. They got a hold of Moses' hand. And they lifted them up with that rod of, of God. Here he sits. They hold him up. And they hold him up until the going down of the sun. They were persistent. They did not give up. Aaron and her. Aaron is a type of Christ our, as our high, great high priest. The Lord Jesus Christ makes intercession for you and I. Can you say amen? He is my and your intercessor. I like what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 7 and verse 25, and I'm reading this from the New International Version. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always, say always, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus looked at Peter, and he said to Peter, Peter, Satan desires to safety as wheat, but I prayed for you. In fact, if you read the old, if you read the, the Amplified there, it's to all of you. He was really speaking to them all. Satan desires to sift us. He desires to destroy us. He come to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is our intercessor. He don't give up. He don't stop. He don't grow weary. And he's interceding for you even at your lowest point. Woo! He is our intercessor. Jesus said to Peter and all of them, I've prayed that your faith fail not. So when you get weak and you get weary, understand something. It's not just Paul praying for you. It's not just a prayer team praying for you. It's not just a pastor praying for you. Jesus Christ our intercessor is interceding for you and I today. Would you clap there? Come on. That's a good place. Oh, he's interceding for you. And Aaron is a type of Christ, our high priest, who is interceding for us. And that's a persistent intercession. Aaron. And her didn't look, one didn't look over and say, you know, I, I kind of think we've done this enough. It looks sort of foolish, don't it? I, I, I think we've been here long enough holding up these hands. They didn't do that. Both of them were very faithful and persistent. Her is a type of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ says I must go away and in order for me to go away I must pray the Father and He'll send you another comforter and He will abide with you Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Not by the hair of your chinny chin chin. He said He will abide with you forever. Always. I love that. And until I Tapped into that source of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason I encourage people so often to read the eighth chapter of the book of, of Romans. Because the chapters, were, Paul struggled. Paul struggled. He said, When I want to do good, evil's always there. I find myself wrestling. And that ain't fun. It's hard. It wears you down physically and emotionally and spiritually. And you feel like you just have almost you're almost ready to give up. Chapters one through seven, Paul writes, and they're great chapters. In fact, I know a minister well-known minister. He says the seventh chapter of Romans is the greatest chapter. And one reason he says that is because he takes us right to the very source of our, our victory, and that is the cross. Chapter 7 takes us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why people would want to leave out the cross, they forget the very strength of Almighty God. Oh, God. But then you get the chapter eight of Romans. Nineteen times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Nineteen times Paul began to focus on my and your resource. Victory. Can you see amen? We fulfill God's righteousness by living in the power of the Spirit and according to the Spirit. I didn't write down Romans eight, but would you bring up, honey, Romans eight for me and and put it on the screen? Uh if you could bring up Romans eight and then go to verse 1 and verse 2 I want to to read you something Romans 8 that's the reason look at what Paul said all this struggle and we're wondering God how can I overcome therefore there or there is therefore say now now right now Sunday morning Sunday night Monday morning when you're at work when you feel yourself the lowest you can feel, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. For years I quoted that verse, resist the devil. Oh, I'm resisting, I'm resisting, I'm resisting. But don't try to resist the devil until you, first of all, submit to God. Amen? But according to the flesh, go to verse 2, honey. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Get that scripture, put it on your refrigerator, type it, put it on the mirror in the bathroom, put it somewhere, and when the devil throws everything he can at you, including the kitchen sink, you just point him to that, and you tell him for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. He cannot deny that. Oh, Powerful. Go to verse 5. Let's read some more. Ain't this good? It's going to get gooder. It's going to get gooder. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, six. For to be carnal-minded, carnally-minded, is death. But to be spiritually-minded, seven, is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be.